This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Hey, great to have you with us. I am in the studio, Studio A. We call it MGM. And I'm with Lynn. Hey, John. And I'm with Shay. Hi, John. We got lots of stories coming up because we're in this new series called Managing Difficult People. Mm -hmm. And we started off looking at narcissism. Today, we're going to move on to another difficult category. And that is the category of in-laws. We are going to throw mama from the train. (laughs) And I'm just going to let you guys start by telling us what you want to tell us about in-laws. I just want to say I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't want to walk away from this being in trouble with my mother-in-law. So I just, that's just very for the smart record, of you. Okay? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think for sure, you know, having been married for 25 years, we've definitely encountered a few hiccups along the way. And in today's episode, hopefully we can normalize people that, you know, dealing with in-laws is going to be an unavoidable issue in any marriage. And as I think about this, I remember that Really early on in our marriage, Shay and I were faced with, you know, some of these hard realities of leaving and cleaving. And it actually happened that within the very first month of our marriage, this was tested because what happened is I had impacted wisdom teeth that needed to be pulled. And, you know, we didn't have dental insurance. We were newly married, you know, had no money. But of course, I had to get my teeth fixed. So I go to the dentist, get my wisdom teeth pulled, and we get hit with a nearly $1,000 dental bill that I think Shay just about fell over when when he saw it. So, of course, my first instinct is, well, let's call dad. You know, dad can help us pay the medical bill. Um, And so we get dad on the phone, and I'll never forget when he said, well, guys, hey, um, you're on your own here. You you are married. Um, This isn't my responsibility anymore. So, hey, good luck with that. I love this story, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to know the backstory of it because obviously lots of um, sometimes issues with in-laws has to deal with money. And uh, before Lynn and I got married, I had a conversation with her dad. And I said, look, you know, we're our own couple. Uh, we don't need your help financially. We're going to make it our own. And he's just kind of looking at me, just smiling, <laughs> right? And I said, but if there ever is a case where you do decide to give us money, we'd take it. But I just want to let you know that there's going to be no strings attached with that money. So I lay down the, the, the law. The, I set the groundwork early on in our marriage relationship. And here we are a month in <laughs> faced with this $1,000 dental bill. And I have to go back to him Didn't and you go- ask him for money. And, and I, I tell him, I said, look, Erwin, this is a pre 
existing conditions. That's right? what I love about this story. <laughs> Damaged goods. Like he's an insurance broker, right? So he's like, can I get a refund on I, this? I did not know about this. I think you should cover this. And uh, he said no right off the bat. Yeah. So it doesn't take long, I don't think, once you're in a marriage to realize that dealing with in-law relationships are going to come up. And, and I just want to say to our listeners that even if you're single and you're listening to this episode, the issues that we address today will be things for you to think about now so that in the future, if you do get married or, you know, you find yourself in a situation in the future that you've actually put some thought into this. And, you know, the other person that we may be speaking to today is maybe you are an in-law right now. And maybe you don't have a great relationship with your adult child and their spouse. And so I think this could give you some things to think about. I think it's true that um, when you get married, you're also marrying your partner's family, right? And, and so when you're dating or thinking about marrying someone, I think you should go into that with eyes wide open and seriously consider the implications of their family dynamics and how that could potentially play into your relationship yeah, in that, the future. That's really important. Yeah, I, I tell each couple I marry, everyone right has a crazy uncle that you're going to have to deal with. And so you've got to put up boundaries, but there are ways we can honor families that we marry into. And so since we're talking about in-laws, is, is this the place where I get to tell my mother-in-law jokes? But you've got it. You have a bunch of good ones. <laughs> I hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> I have a few I've been working on just for this uh, this series. But uh, okay, here's my first one. You're at the lake, and you look out and you notice that your lawyer and your mother-in-law are both drowning. What do you do first? I'm have, I'm waiting. Have lunch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. <laughs> Mom, Got I'm it. sorry if you're listening to this right now. Yeah, Shay, that's a very funny joke. And there are some really funny mother-in-law jokes out there. And you've got another one coming up about some safari and a lion. I, I'm working on it right Okay. Now. Yeah. Well, because these are very common experiences that people have, but it's really not all funny. I've seen many clients over the years whose relationships with their in-laws did tremendous damage mm -hmm. to their marriage and was pretty toxic. Um, so we want to shed some light on this topic. Interestingly enough, in thinking about this, I came across a reference to an old lecture that C.S. Lewis gave called The Sermon and the Lunch. And here's what he says. He states this very unwelcome truth. He says, quote, charity begins at home, so does uncharity. And the way that he goes on to illustrate this is by telling a story about one particular Sunday sitting in church, and he noticed that most of the congregation was ignoring the preacher because the preacher was painting this really rosy picture of family life as a place where, you know, you can retreat from the world, be yourself, be renewed, be completely at peace. But the thing is, is that Lewis knew firsthand that this preacher's home life was lousy, mm. and everyone in the pews knew their own families were a mess. They didn't know about the preacher's messy family, but they're listening to this, and they know this doesn't fit reality. Mm -hmm. So Lewis goes on in this lecture and states that if we really want to redeem hearth and home, if we want to make it a place of blessing, then the first step is to stop telling lies 
about your home life. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. That's a great story, and I think it's so true. And, you know, we all go into marriage with the ideal. We we go into it with this fantasy that, you know, we're marrying this person and things are just going to work out great. But if we don't go in with our eyes wide open, then we can really get hurt. We can be disappointed. We can have our expectations unmet. You know, some of the fantasies that we may bring into marriage about our in-laws could be just, you know, maybe you notice some red flags at the beginning, but then you think, you know, things are just going to get met better after we're married. Yeah, they'll right? even out. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, you know, once they get to know me, they'll like me. Maybe once we have grandkids, that'll smooth things over. Um, or, or another good one might be, you know, well, we're going to move out of state, and so we're not going to have to worry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about dealing with our in-laws anymore. And there's just this belief that, you know, my partner will always put me first, right? He's committing mm. to me. He's marrying me. So I'm number one. And it, and it doesn't take long then for reality to hit. And we realize that, you know, things are much more complicated than that. And they may not um, be as rosy as we want them to be. Yeah. Let, let's go ahead and start this whole discussion by just looking at the ideal. Okay. Uh, marriage, I, I think, Lynn, you said this earlier, marriage is essentially leaving and cleaving. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how it should be because this is how God has designed it to work best. See, it's important as we think about in-laws that we start at what Jesus said about marriage. Jesus, if you remember in Matthew 19, is asked about divorce by the Pharisees, and he starts this discussion by reminding them what God says about marriage. And he does that by going back and he quotes Genesis 2.24, which says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife or cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And I think Jesus and and God gives us a, a, a pretty good definition here of what marriage is. And by the way, Tim Keller has talks about this in his great book, The Meaning of Marriage. Nothing, uh, I'm not coming up with this, on this, with this on my own here. But, but he essentially says this, that when you get married, what you're doing is you're leaving. Usually, uh, you're leaving behind your parents, and you're cleaving to your spouse. Jesus says in Matthew 19, till death do you part. In other words, when you get married, you're saying this new relationship is going to have priority over every other relationship in my life except for my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so that doesn't mean that you don't still love your parents or, or, or treat them with respect or anything like that. But Jesus says in order to have a good marriage, one component of that is you have to leave. Uh, And like I said, it doesn't mean you don't love your parents um, or other relationships that you have in your life, your friends, for example, but you have to say, my new relationship with my spouse takes priority. Yeah, she's number one, he's number one. That's exactly right. Now, now guys, if, if you think about it, this was radical in ancient cultures that put enormous emphasis on the parent child relationship. I mean, pleasing your parents, being faithful to the wishes of your parents, and even grandparents, who were often part of the fa- family dynamic back then, were gr- given, they were given great authority over children. And in some sense, this was a good thing. Parents, grandparents are to be respected. 
Uh, they have wisdom to offer. I mean, why reinvent the wheel? We can learn from them. But here Jesus comes along and says, when you marry, your spouse and your marriage are to be the number one priority in your life. And if you let other things take priority, like your kids or your job or other things, as good as those things are, you're going to have problems in your marriage relationship. Yeah, we see it all the time in session. Yeah, yeah, and, and that includes in-laws. Uh, and, and we, you're, you're exactly right, John, even as a pastor, I, I see that problem a lot. It, it's more common than you might think. Plenty of people have marital problems because they haven't really left, and it's causing issues in, in their marriages. I think that's such a great point, and I think it's good to emphasize that when we talk about leaving— we're not just talking about leaving geographically. Like when I married Shay, I moved out of my parents' basement, right? I left their home. I left physically, geographically. We were living in a different house. But we're talking about leaving on many different levels. And so I think some of those that we're talking about today are going to be leaving emotionally, leaving psychologically, leaving financially, you know, back to the dental bill story. Um, that that you don't have those strings attached, um, and that you're leaving spiritually. You're you're taking on your own faith, your own identity. You're leaving the cultures and traditions, maybe, of your family of origin, and you're going to start to build new ones with your spouse. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are many examples, Lynn, I can think of based on situations I've seen come up in ministry over the years. For example, you, you haven't left your parents if you're more driven by their wishes and expectations than you are your spouse's. That's a big one, yeah. You know, if this is going on, then your spouse might feel like they are playing second fiddle, and, and you care more about what your parents want than what your spouse wants. Um, I've seen that almost ruin a marriage because the son couldn't ever displeases his mother who was always sticking her nose in their marriage. Mm -hmm. And the wife always felt like she was kind of getting the leftovers because he spent all of his time pleasing his parents and never had time or, or energy for her. Seems to be the mother more often. <laughs> In my experience. <laughs> you said yeah. that. Not <laughs> I, I would tend to agree. You might be yeah. right, John. I, I would tend to agree. I Anecdotally, right. I would say we see that more. Yeah. Women are nurturers, mm -hmm. and yeah. they're bonded relationally more than the sure. male. So they tend to be the ones that are going to hang on more. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Or, for example, you, you live in the same town as your parents, and, and they want you to go uh, to their church. But you realize that church isn't maybe over over the years isn't preaching the gospel or feeding your soul or good for your kids, and, and it can be hard to break off and, and to go to another church. Why? Well, because the family has always gone to this church in town, and, and the grandparents right want to see the grandkids on Sundays, and so those boundaries can re be really hard to establish. Or another example that I think uh, comes up pretty regularly, is, is how you discipline your kids or raise them. Mm -hmm. And so if you find yourself saying to your spouse, this is the way my family did it, and you rigidly impose those ways of thinking instead of you and your spouse being a new decision-making unit, it, it's going to cause problems. Mm -hmm. Or your parents always love giving parenting advice, at, you know, after you have kids. Now, usually they have much wisdom to offer, but I remember telling my mom 
you know, she was questioning some something that Lynn and I were doing in raising our kids. And I remember having to tell her, Mom, we've got this. And I think it, if I remember right, now I'm not giving parenting advice here, but I remember, Lynn, we had read some book that had talked about the importance of not letting your kids when they're little sleep with you mm-hmm. at, at night and then to just let them cry themselves to sleep. And and I remember my mom, when she would spend the night with us and she would she would see us parenting that way and she would get so upset. And she she even accused us of child abuse for for doing that, and I'm like, Mom, just trust us. You know, parents have been raising uh, kids for millions of years. I think we can figure this out. She, so just give us our space. She also tried to feed our oldest son mashed potatoes and gravy when he was like four months old. So you know, she was kind of old school. We were trying to figure some. Now your son out. loved her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's why he's so big now. But. Uh, <laughs> Or another example, final example, is is you can fail to leave your parents, um, you know, if, if you resent them or, or you hate them too much. And that mm. sounds weird to say. But, for example, you might not take your kids to church because your parents made you go when you were a kid and you hated it. Mm. Well, you're really being driven more in that example by your parents versus maybe what's best for your own your own kids. And so the, the, the in-laws, your parents, are still affecting your relationship and controlling you today. You know, your parents get into your head and they're Velcroed in there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of starting to become your own unit is disentangling yourself from mm-hmm. how your parents have influenced you. Maybe in some good ways and you want to hang on to them, but that's the thing you take to your partner and say, look, I really liked what my parents did. Are you okay with this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things you just need to, you know, set by the wayside. The way I like to explain this to clients is when you get married, your new marriage is really creating a new culture. You came from a certain culture. Your partner came from a different culture. And now you're coming together to create this brand new culture. And if the husband or wife doesn't draw the boundary with their family of origin and they don't leave emotionally, psychologically, um, et cetera, then each person is a bridge or a gateway for an in-law to come into the marriage to create a wedge mm-hmm. in their relationship. We, we call it triangulation, and we'll get into that later. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at some types of in-law relationships that can develop when a person fails to leave and cleave. Cleave is a weird word. I think of it as bonding. And when there's a failure at the level of leaving and bonding, you know, to the new partner, uh, there can be some serious problems. And one psychologist has identified some typical patterns. And we're going to look at those when we come back. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Okay, so typical patterns of in laws. The first one we're going to tackle is the critics, and they view you as incompetent or flawed in your character simply because you have different ideas, different preferences, belief systems, values, or just ways of doing things. And 
This category also includes the scapegoaters who end up blaming you for whatever problems you and your new partner may be having. You know, actually, here's where I want to jump in and say something here, because I think I actually had the best mother-in-law. And I want to tell you why we had such a good relationship, because I think of this when you're talking about the critical in-law, because what she did is instead of criticizing me or focusing on our differences, here's how she set the stage of our relationship. And this is burned into my mind, and I'll never forget it. When Shay and I first got married, she said, Lynn, I just want you to know that if you and Shay are ever in a fight, I am always on your side. And you know what? She was. I I mean, and guess what? We got along great. I mean, we had a great relationship. So she did the opposite of Hmm. criticize. What she did essentially was she told me when we got married that she had my back, that she supported me, and she wasn't going to try to get between Shay and I. She wasn't going to, you know, talk poorly about me or try to put a wedge in our relationship. She wasn't going to triangulate and divide the two of you. Yes. And and honestly, because her approach worked so well, this is actually what I told my new daughter-in-law when our son got married this year. I, I told her this at their wedding rehearsal. And the point is that you're establishing that you're not trying to meddle, sabotage, triangulate, or take sides in your child's marriage. But I honestly think that's rare because I've talked to more people than not who, when they enter into that relationship, they have a mother-in-law who's really fixated on their flaws and takes every opportunity to criticize. Yeah. So there's the critic. Now let's go to the second typical pattern, the engulfers who Mm. they, they view your marriage license as kind of like enlistment papers, signing you up for (laughs) total involvement with them. Yeah. An example might be that you're continuing to give your parents too much power Mm -hmm. in your life. Um, Now, We're going to talk a little bit in the second episode about how as children we're to obey our parents and as we get older, we're to honor them. But if you're still obeying your parents as an adult, uh, that's not healthy. Okay, Let let me just give away the answer (laughs) here. But uh, if you're still so fused with your parents that you cannot say no to anything they ask of you, you might be afraid to lose connection with them or that they might be angry with you. So the in-laws engulf your marriage and family life and, and, and take over. I've definitely seen this come up, uh, particularly with couples who maybe they live in the same city as their parents or their in-laws. And so there's this built-in expectation that the grandparents are to attend every sporting event, every school event. They want to go to the same church, have holidays together, Sunday lunches together. And honestly, none of these things are in and of themselves bad things to do. It's very rewarding for a child to have grandparents who are loving and involved, and that's absolutely true. But when there are no boundaries, no guidelines established, no new culture, as you said, that's created, that's that's the identity of this new family unit, then that leaving and cleaving process really can't happen and things can get toxic pretty quickly. Yeah. And so now we have the critics. We've just talked about the engulfers. Now let's talk about the controllers. Um, Real simple. They believe your partner is (laughs) inept, incapable of handling his or her her own life. And so they step in to make it better. And basically, controllers demand compliance. And they kind of offer their very conditional variety of love 
on the basis of how good a job you are doing of doing what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, John, some, some people are, are so controlled by their in-laws, they feel like they don't have emotional permission to be their own person, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel like everything they do might be letting their parents down or their in-laws down. And, and when that dynamic is at play, it, you're, not, you're not free. You're not a free person. Or when you deal with controlling parents and you get angry at them or depressed or combative or withdrawn or self-critical or perfectionistic, then what do you do? You pass that on to your new family. Uh, it, It spills over. And at the end of the day, you're giving other people way too much power in your life. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how mothers tend to fall into this. You know, moms are great at guilt tripping. I mean, we are just so good at, you know, after all I've done for you and you won't let me, (laughs) you know, have time with the kids. I mean, we're masters at that. And so we have to be able to see and notice, do I have a parent or do I have an in-law who's really trying to take control over an area where they do not or they should not have control in our lives. Our parents will say to their kids, uh, why don't you live closer to us? Or you never visit us like the other kids do. Yeah, right? the guilt they, trip. They love yeah. to lay mm-hmm. on the guilt. What about the parent that says, hey, we're building a house one right block down you. from you. <laughs> like what, what category does that fall into? Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another category, another pattern. The masters of chaos who've done little or nothing to control their addictions, their out-of-control life, their marital conflicts, financial problems, and they basically just create havoc that draws in the partner, and then it spills over into your family. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, John, I, I'm glad you brought this category up. Um, and, and really, this goes both ways, doesn't it? You know, many adult children— whether single or married, perpetually get into financial trouble because of irresponsibility, drug or alcohol abuse, out-of-control spending, or the modern, I just haven't found my niche, or, you know, I'm holding out for a managerial position. Or I have to go find myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's a little inside joke. Go ahead. And so the parents continually finance them, thinking they'll do better. But in reality, they could just be enabling their children, where they never have to grow up and be independent. Or it works the other way as well, where adult children have to take care of their parents because of poor choices that the parents have made. Mm -hmm. You know, early in life, the the kids learn that they're going to have to be responsible for their parents because their parents are irresponsible. That's a big one. They didn't sign up for this duty, but they inherited it. And so this codependent relationship forms, and you feel guilty if you don't help or try and and break away and have your own life. And you feel a little bit guilt over that. You're becoming a good psychologist, Shay. Yeah, and you know, this pattern happens a lot because of fractured families. So uh, what I see is um, a couple separates and the mom tends to become emotionally dependent on one or two of the kids. Then when the kids grow up and get married, the mom doesn't know how to let go. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. kid's in the pattern and in the, the form of, I've got to rescue mom. 
Yeah. Typically yeah. happens with the mom we call more that than the dad. Parentification. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great word. Now, that said, let, let me just mention this because I think this is really also important for us to understand. The, the, the Bible teaches, the Bible says that adult children should take care of their elderly parents if you're able. Um, that can be a blessing in, in your life. I've seen that myself. Uh, for example, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 that if widows have children or grandchildren, it's good for them to put their religion into practice, but by helping them. You remember, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for, for giving their money in the temple to be seen, all the while they were neglecting to care for their parents. And so there are times where you might need to help your parents financially as they get older. But you and your spouse have to talk that through and, and I think be on the same page with boundaries so you don't begin to resent the, the parent in need. So are you guys clear on what I'm saying? As, as your parents get older, th- there may be times, if you're able, where you have to step in, you have to help them financially if you can do that. If you can do it, and I do think there are a couple of principles that you have to keep in mind. One, you never do it to the detriment of your own marriage and your own family. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You don't destroy one family sure. to, let's say, rescue mm. someone who can't manage their own life. That's right, Jack. And in the 12th hour, like everything's falling apart. Mm. Um, it's a culmination of years of mismanagement. Um, you don't want to enable that or rescue that person. But exactly. you do look at ways to show mercy, but never at the detriment of your family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just this master of chaos idea, you know, in a family system, maybe there's been years of alcoholism, other addictions, you know, poor decisions, lack of boundaries. And, you know, these are common things that we can then become enmeshed in and pass on. You know, I was thinking about this this week. We uh, have an old piano in our house and our son, our youngest son, loves to play piano, and he's really good at it. I love to hear him play the piano. But uh, it's gotten out of tune. And so he'd sit down, and as, as good as of a piano player as he is, the sound was like, eh, you know, I could just hear it being out of tune. And, you know, I paid someone this week to come and tune the piano, but I got to thinking, you know, once that piano is out of tune, it cannot retune itself. Hmm. It needed someone from the outside to come in and tune that piano for it to sound good. And I think when you come from a dysfunctional family environment, it's sort of like a piano that's out of tune. And if you just let it be out of tune, it's not going to correct itself. So sometimes there are things that you need to do to deliberately say, you know, I want my new family to be in tune. And and maybe that means you now aren't in step with that dysfunctional family. That's a great analogy. Um, now let's go to another pattern. And I think our listeners may immediately spit this one out because it sounds pretty severe, but I will tell you that I have clients who live with this. And this pattern is called the rejector. This is the deliberately hurtful in-law that intentionally, uh, is cruel, angry, uh, exhibits hurtful behavior that's deeply painful, and it almost always involves active attempts to sabotage your marriage by turning your partner 
mm. against you. And that's a real thing. Yeah. Isn't that the storyline of Meet the Fockers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of mileage out of that. Remember house. Greg? He, he just can't win with mm. Robert De Niro. <laughs> I, Greg, I didn't know you could milk a cat. I, I really didn't. <laughs> but remember they want their daughter to marry... Mm. In the story, Owen Wilson, who's this wealthy investor who does wood carvings of Jesus. <laughs> That's a great so, movie. <laughs> so De Niro does everything he can to sabotage the Ben Stiller character. That's so funny. But, I, I mean, I have. I've seen these situations where a mother-in-law, again, sorry to throw mama under the train here, but a mother-in-law acts very sweetly when their adult son is in the room. You know, their their son can do no wrong, Right. But as soon as he leaves the room and the mother-in-law is alone with her daughter-in-law, she corners her, she verbally attacks her, she manipulates scapegoats. Mm. And then as soon as the son returns to the room, the mother-in-law returns to just being as sweet as pie, right? Just, you know, and it's just this triangulation. It's passive-aggressive. It's confusing. It creates a lot of chaos, and it brings that into the marriage. Yeah. These categories, they're not always black and white, discrete, and neatly separated. A lot of the in-laws you'll see straddle, like several of these patterns. They're critical at some points, engulfing at others. Most of them, however, fall back on one particular mode in their dealings with you and your partner. And it's the most prevalent behavior that we'll focus on. It's called the partner factor. What all of these have in common is a partner, like in the nuclear family, who for reasons that often seem irrational, they're unwilling or unable in some cases to take a firm stand and actively set boundaries on his or her parents' behavior. And the real sting in that lack of support is often far more hurtful than anything your in-laws themselves can do. Uh, I tell couples when I work with them, look, if your parents are crossing boundaries, um, if it's the guy's parents, I'll say to the guy, look, you are the key to Mm -hmm. your family Mm -hmm. bonding very tightly because you have to draw a boundary. You have to side with your wife or vice versa. Yeah. Wise advice. Yes, your, your marriage must be more important to you than anything else. No other human being should get more of your love, your energy, and commitment than your spouse. God asked that a man leave his father and mother, as, as good as that relationship is, to be able to form something that is even better and that will never happen unless you leave and make your spouse your number one priority. Yeah, and I just want to say that if you're listening today and you're struggling with an in-law relationship, you are not alone. This is very, very common. And the main point here is we're not trying to bash on in-laws. We all have issues. We all have unhealthy habits and ways of relating that we need to work on. And in reality, many in-laws are very loving. They're well-intentioned. They're good-hearted. They're well-meaning in their desire to be involved in their kids' lives. So it's not always on the in-law to make it a healthy relationship. It is a two-way street. So as an adult, you need to look at how you might be contributing to the problem, how you have maybe failed to leave your family of origin, or maybe you're overly dependent on your parents. And guess what? Now it's time to grow up, but it's not too late. 
Well, as we come to the end of this, let me recommend the book Toxic In-Laws by Susan Forward. Mm -hmm. Excellent book. You'll find tons of material in there. Um, And next time, what we're going to do is we're going to address what it looks like to actually leave and bond with your partner and how you can do that while still honoring your parents. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. tune in next week. And I think we're done throwing mama from yeah. the train. Although I'm still going to have my second mother-in-law joke coming next week. Yes. So the, just, I'm yes, working on it. The African yeah. Tune in for that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at with you in the weeds. If you like what you're hearing, Text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.